By the way, Josh, can we, can we close with uh, how great is our God? Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Um, so, you guys know the story. You're painfully aware. Some say he was just a good man. Some say he was only a moral teacher. Some say he was merely a Jewish prophet or itinerant preacher. Some say he was a religious extremist. Some say a political zealot. Some would even say he was nothing but a con artist who got what he deserved. And some would say he was a psychopath. Um, Some say his grandiose claims were a lie, that his life and death were a waste, that he was nothing but a common criminal who was rightly executed, that his trial and conviction were evidence of the fact that he was guilty, that his crucifixion was proof of his humiliating defeat, and his purported resurrection was a hoax orchestrated by some desperate disciples. The world sees two peasants with a son born in a nowhere place in the middle of the Middle East. He was an uneducated carpenter growing up in a backwater place. He was unsophisticated as far as the world is concerned. He was unsophisticated, unrefined, uncultured. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place of his birth. He was a ne'er-do-well who never attained worldly wealth, power, or position. He was a a pathetic figure as far as the world is concerned. He was a sad and inconsequential person in an uninteresting part of the world. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? King Jesus. This is what the world often says about Him. These are a few of the notions about Jesus Christ. As always, that famous 20th century Christian apologist C.S. Lewis has something to say about this. And C.S. Lewis is almost always right. And he's right about this. And I want to read you a somewhat lengthy quote, and I hope you'll just pay attention. Lewis writes regarding this question about who Jesus is. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing people often say about Jesus Christ. Namely, that He was a great moral teacher, but He was not God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You cannot shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, 
Or you can fall at His feet and call Him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about His being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Do you understand what Lewis is saying? By His very own words, Jesus Christ, there's only three viable options here. He was a madman, He was a demon, or He is God. Those are the only three options. He can't simply be called a good, uh, a good man or a moral teacher. He can't simply be called that. He claimed to be God. He received worship. C.S. Lewis is right on the money with that quote. It leaves us with the most important question in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. Anyone want to hazard a guess? What is the most important question in the Bible as far as you're concerned and I'm concerned? You remember the day Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi and He turned His face south and he's headed for Jerusalem. And he turned and he asked his men, Who do people say that I am? And you remember their response, right? They said, Well, some say that you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the prophets risen from the dead. And then Jesus asked them the most important question that ever would be asked of any human being. What did he ask his men? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Beloved, it's the most important question anyone will ever ask you. And to me, it's the question that comes off Psalm 8. I forgot to tell you. We forgot to read the text, didn't we, Mark? Sometimes old people forget stuff. We're going to be in Psalm 8, so you can go ahead and turn there. Go to your electronic device and pull up Psalm 8. That's the text we'll be looking at this evening. He can't simply be a moral teacher. He can't simply be a good man. He can't simply be a prophet. It's the damning error of Islam. Islam believes they're paying tribute to Jesus by calling Him a prophet. Beloved, that's blasphemy. He's God. It's a blasphemy to simply call Him or attribute to Him the office of prophet. He's infinitely more than prophet. He's I Am come down in the flesh. He's the Creator God come down. That's who He claimed to be. And that's what the Bible says He is. If He's a madman, He's easily ignored. History is full of mad men. If He's a demon, He must be ignored. The sooner forgotten, the better. If He's God, He matters more to you than anything else in the world. Amen? If He's God... If He is who He claimed He is, He matters every day you wake up and roll out of bed. He matters more than anything else. Amen? Or anyone else. 
It's not even close. Nobody else is even on the radar compared to your Creator. It's not even a close call. Jesus was unmistakably clear, both publicly and privately. The apostles were unambiguous in their preaching and their writing. The Bible is categorical and unequivocal. An honest and unbiased reading of the Scripture will bring you to one conclusion. He is God. He is God. Jesus Christ is God. So I'll ask you, friend, even in a small group like this, I'm sure we have some who are not believers or are merely nominal Christians, you know, merely church members who come out of habit but are not in a relationship with Christ. So I'll ask you, who do you say that Christ is? Who do you say He is? Anybody remembers Peter's response? I hope it's your response. What is Peter's response? You are the Christ! the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, among men, for this was not disclosed to you by flesh and blood, but from My Father who is in heaven. Beloved, do you understand? Do you understand the supernatural nature of your Christianity? It's a gift from God. Some of us most likely have taken for granted that we call ourselves Christians. If you call yourself a Christian and you really are a Christian, if you're born again, it is a, it is a supernatural gift from God. It's sovereign disclosure from God. That's what it is. So do you know that Jesus is the Christ? Do you know that He is the Son of God? Let me ask the question better. Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Mental assent is never equivalent to true conversion in the Bible. Have you merely believed some facts about Jesus? Or have you entered into relationship with Him? Are you merely biblically orthodox? Or again... Are you in relationship with Jesus Christ? It's the John 10 thing, right? <laughs> it's where I always go when people ask me, boil Christianity down, boil it down, boil it down so I can understand it. It's John 10. My sheep, you tell me, my sheep what? My sheep know me. My sheep hear my voice. And my sheep follow me. Now, if that's true of you, I do believe you're a Christian tonight. If that's true of you, I believe it. If it's not true of you, I have a huge question mark about your profession of faith if you indeed claim to be a Christian. Do you know Him? Do you hear Him? Do you walk with Him? This is Christianity. You say, Jim, what's this got to do with Psalm 8? Everything. Psalm 8 is Jesus Christ. Psalm 8 is a look at Jesus Christ, beloved. That's what it is. Uh, in Psalm 8, we're looking at I Am, who is Jesus Christ. 
And yes, I know it's unbelievable. It's astonishing. It's stunning. It's shocking. I am is in the manger in Bethlehem and I am is on the cross in Jerusalem. It's what the Bible teaches. It's what every true Christian understands and believes. And David is talking about I am Jesus Christ in Psalm 8. It's just a look at Jesus and that's what we'll do for the remaining few moments. Take a look at Jesus through David's beautiful psalm. Psalm number 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth who has displayed Your splendor above the heavens. Okay, don't worry. I'm going to park on verse 1 for a few minutes. I promise to finish the psalm, but I, I'm going to park on verse 1 just for a few minutes. Josh is smiling. He understands. I can't just read verse 1, make a few passing comments, and go on. This is a, an amazing text. So I look at the Hebrew, right? David says, this is a literal Hebrew. David says, O Yahweh, you know the word Yahweh, I trust. If you've been around the church very long, you understand that that is the proper but unpronounced Jewish name for God. Yahweh. David says, O Yahweh, our Adonai, our Lord. O Yahweh, that's I am. The inner meaning of Yahweh is I am. It's, what, it's the name that God gave Himself as He talked to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I am that I am. Oh, Yahweh, our Adonai. You know, sometimes I hear folks, and I understand that there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians that don't know their Bibles. I get that. I run into that all the time. But you know, I hear people, uh, biblically illiterate people, sometimes talking as if the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. Do you guys run into this sometimes? I, I hear it on occasion. Hey, He's the same God. He's the same God. He never changed. The God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. The God of the New Testament is Jesus Christ. Oh Yahweh, our Adonai, David says. How majestic is Your name in all the earth. I want to make mention of the fact that Jesus claimed to be I Am. Any of you remember the text? The Pharisees were contending with Jesus. Jesus said, you know what? Abraham was happy to see My day. And they said, you're not yet 50 years old! And you claim to know Abraham? And what does Jesus say? I love this text, man. I still remember the first time as a born-again believer I read this and my heart leapt, leapt in, my, in my chest. What does He say? What does Jesus say? Before Abraham, I am. Right? Before Abraham, I am. Jesus is clear. He is the God of the Old Testament. Did the Pharisees understand? Yeah, they understood. Anybody remember their reaction when He claimed to be I am? They picked up stones that they might kill Him. They understood. Jesus said it in such a way that every Jewish ear understood that He was claiming to be the Creator, 
God, Yahweh, I am. Every Jew understood. It's back to what C.S. Lewis is saying. He claimed to be God, did Jesus. What do you think? Again, it's the most important question you will ever be asked. It's the most important question you will ever be asked. Let me just read John 1, 1 through 1-3 to you. Um, I love this verse. It's a picture of the divine claim of divinity. Um, in the Bible for Jesus Christ, let me read it to you. Many of you are familiar with it. John 1, 1 through 3, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you understand? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. Jesus Christ is God. He's not a prophet. Merely a prophet. He's not merely a moral teacher. He's not merely a preacher. He's not a religious extremist. He's not a political zealot. He's God come to save His bride. Yeah, I get excited about it. I hope you get excited about it. I hope it matters every day you roll out of bed that I Am has come for you. He didn't send a subordinate. He came. He came. David says, How majestic is your name in all the earth who has displayed... Your splendor above the heavens. Okay, uh, I'm, I hope this is not a data dump for you, but I, I, I did. I, I know people don't like data dumps. You shouldn't, your preaching should never be a data dump, but I just got to tell you about these Hebrew words, right? These Hebrew words translated majestic. David is saying, and I, I, I looked at these, this word, translated majestic, the Hebrew word. David is saying how noble, honorable, mighty, excellent, famous, glorious, great, brilliant, and wonderful is Jesus Christ in all of the earth. There was another word that I saw in my word study. The word principle. Principle. David is saying Jesus Christ is the main, major, chief, foremost, first, head, preeminent, premier of all other names. It's what David is saying. This is just beautiful, beautiful talk about the Lord Jesus. Of course He's principal in the universe. He created it. It made me think of Romans 11.36. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. What's the very next verse? And this is kind of parenthetical. This is not coming out of Psalm 8. This is free stuff. Sometimes I give you free stuff. This is free stuff. What's the very next verse after Romans 11.36? It's Romans 12.1. In the whole Bible, God is presenting Himself to you 
And then he says, therefore. The whole Bible is full of therefores. I looked it up. This is what I do. I'm a nerd sometimes. So I looked up how many times, let's see if I can find it, 927 times, therefore appears in the NAS translation of the Bible. If you pull in the uh, synonyms, accordingly, consequently, hence, so, and thus, you end up with 6,000 occurrences. The Bible is full of therefores. So what is the therefore in Romans 12.1? What is it? If this God has loved us like this, 11 chapters of breathtaking theology, if this God has loved us like this, if He's really like this, if He's awesome like this, if He's loving like this, if He's sovereign like this, then what does Paul say? Therefore, present yourself as a living sacrifice to this God. Amen? It's what I call you to when you come in here. You say, Jim, sometimes you're hard on us and I, I feel convicted. I'm glad you feel convicted. I feel convicted. Every week I study the Bible, I feel convicted. You're supposed to feel convicted because you're supposed to go on. right? You're not supposed to sit down and be comfortable. That's not what Christians do. We're always going on with God. Amen? We're always going on with God. We're going somewhere deeper with Him. To a deeper more awesome place. It's what Paul is saying. Give yourself away to Jesus. And I'm going to challenge you. You call yourself a Christian tonight. Have you done that? And if you haven't done that, I want to challenge you to do the transaction. Give yourself away to Jesus Christ. Give yourself away. Oh, utterly, totally, completely. Another meaning of the word majestic is the word galant. Don't you love it? Jesus is Galat. He's brave, he's bold, he's courageous, he's fearless, he's heroic, he's intrepid, he's a lion heart. He is stout, he is unafraid, he is valiant. Made me think of the verse we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Exodus 15:3. Our Lord is a warrior. Our God is a warrior. David says, Okay, I did a word study on, this, on the word splendor, but I'm not going to go into it, okay? Um, come over to my house and we'll talk about it if you want to. Um, but David says, who has displayed your splendor what? What does your text say? You have displayed your splendor what? You have displayed your splendor what? Above the heavens. Not just in the heavens. Above the heavens. Now, David doesn't understand as well as we understand just how big the heavens are. How far does Hubble see? How far does the Hubble telescope see? 13 billion light years. How long is a light year? You guys should know this because I bring it up on occasion. 10 trillion miles. No, 10 trillion kilometers. 6 trillion miles, 10 trillion kilometers. Okay, that's a trace. That's... that's that's a trace of the glory of Jesus Christ. You get it? 13, 13 billion times 10 trillion kilometers. That's a trace element of the glory of Jesus Christ. His glory is infinitely above it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to make the point. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to stare into the Milky Way and, 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 and get a sense of the greatness of God, but what the psalmist is saying here, what David is saying here, it's nothing compared to who he really is. Right? It's nothing compared to who he really 
is, okay, I finally have arrived at verse 2. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. In Matthew 21.16, again, the Pharisees are exercised. The children in the temple are crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David! And the Pharisees hate it! Right? They hate it. And Jesus actually quotes Psalm 8, verse 2, from the mouth of infants, strength is established. The Lord is proclaimed, right? I don't care how humble you are. I don't care what your estate is in this world. It doesn't matter. Will you praise God with it? Will you praise God with what you have? Will you praise God with your resources? Will you praise God in your trials and in your temptations? Will you make God great? God delights in the children proclaiming Him. How much more you as an adult who proclaim Him in your life and in your work, in your words and in your deeds and in your leisure, how much more, beloved? How much more? There's an, a power, another powerful allusion here in verse 2 to Jesus Christ. Yes, He was the Word made flesh. He was an infant, right? He was an infant. He was a nursing babe in whom strength was established. Enough strength to blow up sin and death and hell, right? I love this allusion to Jesus here. He has destroyed for all who are believers, for every Christian. Jesus has vanquished our adversaries. Verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? As a shepherd boy, David would lay on the ground. We were in Tuscany this week, in the middle of like nowhere. I thought we were lost. But there was a, there was a villa out there. And we went and stayed out there, right? And you look up. And David, he used to lay on the ground and he would look up and he would look into the Milky Way, right? Which is our galaxy, right? And I got a statistic for you. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years in diameter. It's ten, tens of thousands of light years across. This is a medium-sized galaxy as galaxies go. It's estimated to have 100 to 400 billion stars. This is a trace of the glory of God. This is a hint these are the fringes of His ways, as Job says. These are the fringes of His ways. I have to make a correction. I've always, really for the last five years, I've been saying that there are 400 plus billion galaxies. Well, I guess when I throw in the plus, it makes it accurate. I read an article this week. You know what the current estimate is of galaxies? I'm not talking about stars or planets. I'm talking about galaxies. Do you know what the current estimate is? Two trillion Two trillion galaxies. Did you hear what David says? 
This is the work of your fingers. David, did, uh, God didn't even work up a sweat. He didn't get off His throne. He never put His back into it. This is the work of His fingers. Do you understand how awesome your God is? Are you worshiping yet? This God loves you. This God saved you. Do you get it? Do you get it? Beloved, this is a picture of God's infinity. And I always love what John Piper says about the cosmos. It's not a commentary on your insignificance. It's a commentary on God's significance. Amen? It's not a commentary on man. It's a commentary on God. Yes, we look into the seemingly endless cosmos and we realize we are on this little bitty speck of dust. And it's powerless in one sense. It looks quite powerless. If you see earth from many, many miles away, as some of the uh, satellites have taken pictures, this is a picture of God's infinity. It's, it's a point, it's the whole point of the universe. The glory of God always loved in Genesis 1.16 where God makes the stellar heavens. It's five words. <laughs> he doesn't even, He doesn't give it, you know, the creation account, it's man-centric, right? It's, it's, it's earth-centric and man-centric. When He creates the stellar heavens, He simply says, God made the stars also. So 99.999999 and I could go forever percent of, of all the mass and space of creation Five words. It's just a commentary on how great He is. That's the point. That is the point. You know, the Bible, one thing I love about the Bible, it gets all the key players um, just the right size, right? So we get a sense here of the greatness of Jesus and when you look at the cosmos, you look into the Milky Way, you realize what, a, what an amazing God He must be. Verse 4, Then who am I that you take thought of Me? This is what David is thinking as he lays on his back and he looks into the Milky Way. Why would you even think of Me? The Bible gets man just in the right spot. He's not too big. And he's not too small. You know, the secularists and the, hum uh, the humanists and the atheists, they like to say man doesn't matter at all. Psalm 8.4 tells us that man matters a lot to God. Charles Hodge was a great theologian, 19th century theologian, American theologian. I love how he says it about man and how the Bible presents man. The Bible humbles man without degrading him and exalts him without inflating him. Amen? That's a biblical view of man, right? Humbles man without degrading him and exalts him without inflating him. Verses 5-8. through eight. Yet you have made him, man, a little lower than God and crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds 
of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. So we have a clear allusion here to not only the first Adam, but the last Adam. Who is the last Adam? Who was the second perfect man? Jesus Christ. Jesus, sometimes you hear theologians talk, the first Adam was Adam in the garden, the second Adam or the last Adam is Jesus. So we have an allusion here to both Adams. Of course, man was created in the image and likeness of God. The King James, the ESV, and the NIV, English translations here, they, instead of my translation says, a little lower, he was made a little lower than God. If you have an ESV or an NIV or a King James, yours will say a little lower than the angels. The Hebrew word is Elohim. It is almost universally translated God. But the point is made. Man is, man is uh, inferior to God in every sense and is inferior to the angels in some ways. That is the point. I'm not going to get into that debate. I think Elohim should be translated God. But I'm not going to argue with people who know the Hebrew, pardon me, yeah, the Hebrew better than I. So fresh from the hand of God, uh, the first Adam, yeah, he was crowned with a kind of glory and majesty. It says here in the text, and that's true. That's true. But verse 5 is also a picture of the second Adam, the last Adam. And let me read to you from Hebrews 2, 6-10, through 10, talking about Jesus. Listen, it says, But we do see Him who has been made a little, for a little while lower than the angels, namely, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read that famous text to you about the infinite condescension of Jesus. Philippians 2, 6-8. through 8. Let me read it to you. Jesus Christ, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Are you worshiping it? Likewise, Psalm 8, 6-8 through 8, applies to the first and last Adam as well. For God did give the first Adam dominion over all the earth and its creatures, but its ultimate meaning again is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just read the end of that. Or I'm going to attach the, the next few verses from that Philippians 2 passage, 9-11. to 11. God has put all things under the feet of Christ. Let me just uh, read that text. For the Father highly exalted Him, that being Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all things are sub subjected to Jesus Christ. All things. All things. All things. So Psalm 8 is all about Yahweh. About I Am. 
about Jesus. So I will ask you one last time. Who do you say that Jesus is? C.S. Lewis is right. You only get three choices. You have to decide. He's a madman. He's a devil. Or he's God. Lewis says, let us not talk about any patronizing nonsense here that he's a good man. He's the God of Psalm 8 who sits on his throne and creates a cosmos with his fingers. That's who he is. You know, at the end of the day, I tell you this a lot. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what any preacher on the internet thinks. What matters? What matters? What does God say? That's all that matters. What does God say? God says that Jesus is the Lord. So I want to end like this. As I said to you earlier, the Bible is the revelation of Yahweh, Jesus Christ. And the Bible is full of therefores. And the therefore is there for you and for me. What will you do with the truth that Jesus Christ is God? What will you do with it? When you, when you roll out of bed in the morning, what will you do with it? What will you do with the truth? How will you incarnate the truth? I'm going to go back to Romans 11.36 and Romans 12.1. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Then Paul writes, Therefore, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. If you really get Psalm 8, you understand what Paul is saying here. And this is what it will look like in your life. It will look like verse 9. It's the last verse. It's the last verse of Psalm 8. Your life will look like this. This will be the ambiance and the aroma and the motivation and the drive and the core of your life. It will be Psalm 8 verse 9. Oh Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. That is the signature of your life, beloved. You call yourself a Christian. It's why you're on the earth. God, God expects you to give off this aroma, right? You give off this aroma on your best day and on your worst. Did you notice? And I'm done. I did well considering this is such a big God psalm, right? I just... Mm. Did you notice there's an exclamation point at the end of verse 9? That's how God expects you to live it. With an exclamation point. My God is God. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I believe my God is. I believe my God's a rewarder. I will obey Him with glad, reckless joy. It's a challenge for you and me tonight. Let's pray together.
<clears throat> what a beautiful God. What an awesome God. Lord, thank You for this brief glimpse at Your glory, at Your majesty, at Your splendor. Two trillion galaxies. It's child's play for You. You who breathe out galaxies. You who took on flesh and lived the perfect life that might be imputed to me and who died a criminal's death to make atonement for me. Lord God, forgive us when this is a small thing to us. Forgive us when it's merely a religious habit. Forgive us, Father, for You are a great God. O Yahweh, our Adonai, we praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.